coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller, and you're in for a treat today. You might actually learn how to deal with things through a diplomat's point of view. Imagine, today we're going to talk about what is diplomacy? What can we use from the diplomacy that our guest Stanley Hirschhoff is going to talk about? Stanley Hirschhoff, I have been studying him for the past 24 hours, and I'm thinking, Boy, are we lucky that we get to interview and talk to him. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller. You're listening to peacepodcast.org for peace, mutually assured survival, and happiness. Mutually assured survival. If we could actually believe that's possible, think about the diplomacy that would take to make that happen. Stanley was a diplomat for over 30 years. His experiences were in the Asian affairs. And during his years, he was also an executive director for the Fulbright Scholarship Board. And as a senior educator and cultural policy advisor to the US State Department, advising Secretary Clinton and the Pivot to Asia. I guess that's what it is called. His currently acclaimed book is called Like the Moon and the Sun, the story of culture, religion, and politics in Indonesia through the eyes of a former U.S. diplomat. You know, I went on Amazon and I looked at his book and then I read the paragraphs underneath. Now, today you're going to hear the basic elements of diplomacy. But if you want to really get to know diplomacy, buy the book. And it's called Like the Moon and the Sun. And be sure you go on Amazon and check out the bio. So I said to Stanley, Stanley, what do you think we should do? And what would you like to devote the rest of your life to? And he said, I want to devote my life to peace, peace building, and to create that world that works for all. And I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stanley Hersha, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Barbara. I'm so delighted, so delighted to have met you and that you invited me today. Well, you know, I really felt that our almost 100 podcasts, needed somebody who had that experience, the experience of diplomacy in situations where we think there are no solutions. Um, and so diplomacy steps in. So let's just start with one, with what we started to talk about today. Peace. What is peace to you, Stanley? Um, so, so peace to me is, peace to me, well, you have inner peace and then you have, you have peace in society and communities. And of course, you, you, you have to have inner peace. Everybody has to have inner peace in order to project broad, broader peace. So that's one important element. And uh, to me, it's it's just, it's peace is communities, individuals, families, nations, being able, being able to live uh, peacefully, tranquilly, with prosperity, uh, with freedom and to be able to, to to have contentment and joy and happiness. That's that's peace. That's wonderful. And it re truly is the, the reason that I am doing what I am doing, because I truly believe that peace is 
There's so much peace on our planet. When we go to a stop sign in the United States, people stop. That's peace to me. When I'm in a grocery store and the clerk says, how are you? To me, that's peace. But let's go to conflict now, Stanley. You know, you've been in the conflict zones. You've been there to kind of figure out why these society, societies have these conflicts. What is the basic cause of conflict today? Or when you were in the diplomacy corps, diplomat corps? I mean, the conflicts that I've been directly involved with or exposed to or, or, or dealing with um, have been mostly caused just by greed and power. So whatever the whatever the whatever the immediate cause was, um, you know, one person hating another, people attacking each other, one religion attacking another, one tribe attacking another. Um, there was there there was always an element of of economic greed and political power uh, behind that. So there was always an actor um, behind that. Um, but at the same time there was always like a cultural divide. Um, there was usually involved some sort of bigotry towards the other, towards the other one. You know, usually like, especially the the, the majority, the, the ones who have the power, uh, creating negative stereotypes and then lack of empathy and communications on both sides. So that's been an important underlying element. And then more broadly speaking, um, there's just ideological causes of war the Cold War, the war against terrorism, um, the war in Ukraine, and so forth. Well, the war in Ukraine is an interesting one because I believe that the power is part of the problem. Um, who has the power? And then why don't the people have the power? So let's talk about this. Some of the most important elements of ending conflict, what are they? Um, okay, well, I mean, one element that is oftentimes oftentimes neglected, and I think United Nations is actually good sometimes in, 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 in involving the communities, but you can never forget to involve people at the grassroots level. Okay, ultimately, they're the ones who are going to decide whether they want to have peace or not. And uh, too often, too often governments and organizations have this plan to bring about peace, but they, but they don't involve the grassroots level. Of course, there always have to be a will for peace. So, whether it be whether it was in Colombia or El Salvador or where I'm familiar with uh, in Indonesia, the conflict in Aceh, peace did not come until both sides were sick of war and you had a, a will for that. Um, sometimes it involves certain key individuals struggling hard for peace because they just have an internal desire for peace and they have an empathy for 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 the for the enemy, um, and. Usually the peacemakers really have to make tremendous sacrifices. And before peace is achieved, a lot of the peacemakers will pay the ultimate price before they, they can achieve that. I'll always say that for future peace, it's really, really important to educate youth because that pays off for generations to, to come. And then it's really, really important, whatever you can do to empower women, politically, economically, that is a tremendous tool for peace because women typically are much more interested in having a peaceful and prosperous life for their families and for their for their communities. So sort of developmental assistance that alleviates climate problems, climate change, um, provides health for the people, societal problems, but particularly that targets women. I think those are some elements to, to, uh, to preventing conflict. Boy, could I give you a earful. You know, when you started talking about women, I went to a, a community in India 
and the men were all warring and shooting each other. So guess what was left? The beautiful women. They had women as police chiefs. They had women as the mayor. They had women on the city council. They had the women's market and the men were all dead because they were fighting. Isn't that stupid? But anyway, what was wonderful was to see the peace in that community now that the men had shot each other over territory, over lots, over food, over simple things that could have been taken care of by diplomacy. I'm sure you have tales to tell also. And we were talking earlier about when you travel, you get to see the results. But I have to agree with you on one on two things. It's the women and the children who need to have the power and the education in order to become the diplomats of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I can give you some examples if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. I, I haven't had a chance to give examples. And so I, I, I chose three examples because we don't have much time. And um, two of them take place in Indonesia because that's that's where I've spent my time. And one of them takes place in Burkina, in, in Burkina Faso. I'll go to Burkina Faso first. Um, there's an absolutely wonderful, one of, the most, one of the most wonderful, talented and empathetic diplomats and we have in the Foreign Service, Tuli Mushingi. He was born in the Congo and uh, he went to Georgetown, uh, he went to Harvard, he became one of our brightest diplomats and every place he went to Africa, he brought peace. And so in Burkina Faso around 2014, 2015, um, the first thing people noticed was that Tuli was everywhere. He was out with the farmers. He was talking to the youth. He he learned local dialects. He communicated. He was full of empathy. Jur one journalist described him as as having regarded almost as a saint, and he was truly a warm person. And he used that diplomacy to prevent war, to prevent conflict there. When the president had 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 reached the end of their second term and wanted to wanted to stay on for a third term. Uh, Tuli publicly condemned that. Um, that created demonstrations in the street that grew and grew and grew until he decided to step down. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tuli was waiting outside his home and calling him on the phone to give him the final nudge to to not continue. Um, he did the same thing when there was a when there was a coup d'état. He publicly condemned it, and that led to the coup, coup failing. And so that's just a tremendous thing. And you know that I, I looked, I tried to look up the story of Tuli Mashingi, and it's not written very much. So there's all these wonderful stories that you're not going to read about, um, because uh, what diplomats do is 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 usually not publicized unless it's or ending a war in the Balkans or something. And then I want to give example from Indonesia, uh, which is I was there during a time when in the Moluccas, the fame, the fabled spice islands in Indonesia. Um, they had a sectarian religious conflict between Christians and Muslims, and they're about equally divided the populations. And it all started uh, with a dispute between a bus driver and two passengers. And it continued with thousands of persons being killed on both sides and the war going on and on for, for years. And then it subsided. And in 2006, when I was there, it's, it, it sparked up again by elements that wanted to create war. This was, these were elements that wanted to create war. They wanted to have conflict between Muslims and Christians. Well, here's how it ended. It ended when, when, a, um, when a, a Christian clergy and a Muslim imam got together and they talked to each other and they talked to each other's congregations 
and they worked together and they brought in other clergy and imams and society. And I think it's miraculously that that effort by just a few clergy um, ended this conflict permanently. And when in 2011, when something happened and it almost conflagrated again, um, Muslims went to, 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 to uh, Christian homes and vice versa, and they were able to quell this from, from inflaming again. Mm. And this is a this is a conflict that goes back to like the 1670s, when the Portuguese and the Dutch first started started converting uh, uh, the Moluccans to Christianity, and there started to be a religious conflict at that point. That is an amazing story, and the two things I pulled from that are empathy and conversation. To have the conversation with the people who could be enemies before they become enemies. And I have to tell you, Paula Garb, I just interviewed her and she went into Russia, to Georgia, to try to solve some of the quarrels that were happening. And you know what she told me? It's impossible to solve a war after it starts or to get friends again because the wounds are so deep. And she said the only way to really have a world that works for all is to prevent war with conversations, just the story you told me. And she is a trained mediator for after war. And she's already getting ready for this Ukraine-Russian diplomacy. Yeah, so I, I, like, to, I like to add something because there's, there's a third story. And so it is it is almost impossible to start wars when they, after they started, but wars have ended. Deep you know, with lots of bloodshed on both sides. Um, and and I was I was in Indonesia, I was in Aceh, very, very deeply involved in, in Aceh. And um, that war ended after the tsunami that occurred at Christmas time in 2004. Okay, both sides were tired. Both sides had indicated that they were really, really ready to, to seek peace. But it took a tsunami killing 100,000 people, which, both the government of Indonesia, which was fighting the, the, the Achenese rebels, took it as a sign of God, took it as a sign that we can't take this anymore. And there were people in civil society in Aceh that were ready to step in, that had been working towards peace. And the president of Indonesia and the vice president at that time, they were genuinely wanted to bring about peace. Of course, the army didn't want peace because they were just getting rich off of it. Um, and then at that time, um, the former president of uh, Finland, uh, uh, Mari Antisara, Antisari, he was there at the time. He had just been asked to, to just before the tsunami, to be a mediator. And uh, within a few months, after 50 years of civil war, they achieved peace. This is a story that needs to be told. It almost needs to be told in a picture book to show the warring factors, and then to show the president of Finland and show how people reach the peace. We don't have stories like this. This is a this is a story that needs to be told. You know, we always hear about all the war and the tragedies that are happening daily, but we don't hear about the stories of people who actually solve these problems. So I'll give you a task. I want you to put this story in some form so that we can put it on a issue magazine. You know about issue. Issue. Yeah. Okay. That's how I do my my community magazine. And I just sent out I just have my brand new one just came out. 
And then we can have people read these stories with pictures that, that you have, I'm sure, in your um, cameras. So let's just really talk about what we can do to do just exactly that. Have the empathy in the conversation so that we can end these civil wars and any wars. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what inspires me to do that. It's it's actually Rotary. It's actually my conversation with you and with Jim and Jim, Jim Halderman. Rotary Action Group for Peace, and I only joined Rotary a year and a half ago. Rotary, Rotary Action Group for Peace has inspired me to work on peace building. To, you know, I've been doing interfaith dialogue and educational exchanges and so on, but I want to get back to peace building and I see Rotary as a vehicle. What a beautiful thing to say. As you know, I'm chair of the Rotary Action Group for Peace, and I'm going to have you be one of our speakers for sure for the Rotary Action Group for Peace because you got inspired by Rotary to continue or to inform them about the action you can take for peace, correct? Yeah, you guys are inspiring. Rotarians are just inspiring. And, you know, Rotary Action Group for Peace, all the things you've been doing to educate me, to to, to, to actually get me back to, to, to my origins, so to speak, you know. Oh, boy, does that make my heart feel good. You make me feel like the work that I've been doing for the Rotary Action Group for Peace has a follower and will follow through with the peace that our planet needs today. And you know, if you go to rotaryactiongroupforpeace.org, you will find all kinds of projects. There's three clicks for peace by Brian Farr. There's the Primer for Peace and all of the Peace Builder Clubs. I never expected to be so excited about Rotary until I started looking at what we can do. 35,000 clubs. If we make peace the cornerstone of every club, and you have mm -hmm. to explain what you're doing for peace these days, we might have peace on the planet. You know, we, we didn't do this in, in Conifer. I, I, I joined Rotary. I co-founded this, this with somebody else a year and a half ago. Uh, and yet our Rotary Club here is so motivated by what we're doing. We're, we're going to do a course. We're going to take a course on nonviolent communications. Uh, we build a peace park, and we're we're and we're helping Ukrainian and other refugees. And uh, I mean, everybody's just so inspired, and they really didn't. I, I had to explain to them what 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 peace building was in Rotary at the very beginning. And to you, what did you say? Peace building is building that community of peace, taking your own efforts, and and please go on. Um, so yeah, I mean, so, so they were, I mean, they were skeptical only because they had so much going on as Rotarians do, and they didn't want to take on something else. Um, I mean, that's hard to say exactly what I said, because it's, it's, because it's, but it's, but it's, but it's complicated. Um, uh, but I, I, I just, I just took the main points off the Rotary Action Group for Peace, you know. Well, so thank you. That's what I did at the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I love our title, Rotary Action Group for Peace. You think about that. Um, and, you know, I do believe Rotarians want peace in their heart of hearts. They want peace. And I do believe that what we do makes a difference. And I do believe that we are each part of the peace puzzle. In fact, one of your questions here talks about what is the impact that a per an individual person can make? Look at you. The impact of an individual person for peace. I mean, so there's so many examples. I, I just chose a few stories today, but there, there are there are countless examples of, of what individuals. Okay, I'll give you an example for myself. Something I'm happy with. 
Um, I with with a former Indonesian ambassador to Washington D.C., a good friend of mine in Indonesia. He started he started a a, a project called one uh, one thousand Abrahamic circles, and so we we identified local leaders of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity from three different countries, and the three local leaders traveled with each other for two or three weeks and stayed in each of each other's homes. Oh. They traveled from they traveled from Denver to Serbia to Indonesia, for example. And I can't tell you it met its objectives because after that, all of those persons, they broke down so many stereotypes that created such empathy. And even if they were sort of like tolerant and open-minded to begin with, um, they didn't realize how much they had to learn about each other's religions and, and societies. And, they're, and now they're out proselytizing, uh, proselytizing for tolerance and understanding of the other religions right now. Tolerance and understanding. Yeah. You make my heart so proud of you. Like the moon and like the sun, a story of culture, religion, and politics. This is the book you wrote. And in that book, I am sure we are going to find out the clues to what makes peace on the planet. Am I correct? Um, no, but, but it does, <laughs> I don't know. No, but it, it, it is kind of a semi-personal memoir. It talks about my experience and time in Indonesia. It's very personal. And then it compares, it compares important issues of, of human rights, uh, religious pluralism, and and so forth between Indonesia and the United States. So That's it's fantastic. It's a way that, that, that the two societies can better understand each other and, and have, find some common values. See, well, you did tell me that when you find common values and you honor the human rights that Eleanor Roosevelt put together in 1947, and allow our countries to understand that human rights cannot be violated, that we have these human rights and it's time that we honor them. So I'm going to thank you, Stanley. And I always have at the end of our podcast, what would you like the world to know about you or what would you like the world to be? Well, I mean, so I like I, I like the world to understand, particularly those people who, those those of you who are looking, looking to, to build peace, that, the world is making so much progress. And you go back to like the UN Declaration on Human Rights and Eleanor Roosevelt, what that meant and um, the relative peace that we've had. And so there's there's so much war and conflict. I recognize that. And I recognize the United States has caused so much. But what I like to say is that I am I am hopeful that that through understanding and through diplomacy that we can make the world more peaceful and that we should all dedicate ourselves to that because if not, the world would be would be so much worse. I wanna thank you, Stanley Hersha, for saying that the world can become peace through diplomacy and through individual actions because I find that is the case. Every time I make a talk, I have a talk called the path to peace and people who listen to it say, I get it now. I get it. And you know what I'm Angel, um, Maya Angelou said, the words are great on paper, but it's the human voice that creates peace on our planet and your voice today and your experience have shown that it's possible to have peace on our planet. 
I thank you for being here. I'm Barbara Gonmuller. As I said in the very beginning, thank you. Um, it's peacepodcast.org. And now when you're in your car and you're in the middle of traffic, you can put on Spotify. You don't even have to listen to the whole program. Just listen to the parts that excite you. Go to Spotify when you're in the in your car. Put on it on your iPhone and pay attention. That peace is possible. Now, you might want to have a conversation with a friend and invite them to watch Stanley Hersha because Stanley Hersha has the wisdom of all his 30 years of diplomacy. I enjoy listening to him today. Thank you again, Stanley. You really have hit the nail on the head, as they say. Thank you so much. Very inspiring. Thank You're you. so welcome. Um, with that, I say peace be with you. And remember, peace does begin with each of us. It does begin with a conversation. If you listen carefully to Stanley today, how many times he said it's empathy and conversations. Having that empathetic and understanding heart allows you to bring peace into every situation. And if you're not sure of it, go to Revolutionary Conversations, my book, the book allows you to understand how to have a conversation, even in a conflict situation. Stop before you go forward. Help, ask, risk, and explore. And with those five characteristics, you might be able to bring peace to your family and to your home and to your country. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Barbara Gonmuller. I'll see you next week. Music